So towards the end of last year, and really around the fall, uh, the Lord put in my heart a desire to do this survey. And what uh, the root cause of that was is certainly our mission statement here is following Jesus in diverse community. And we um, embrace and understand God's unique calling upon this congregation to be diverse. However, we don't know um, the specific statistics of what that diversity looks like. We talk about it, and sometimes we'll throw numbers around, but we want to be accurate. And the, really, the reason for doing this is to know the demographics of our congregation so that we can best serve our congregation. And so, as Jen said, this survey, it really will take you around 90 seconds, uh, maybe two minutes to complete it. Um, we've taken about three months to make sure that we have worded the questions correctly and have gone through several drafts and even had some sample um, tests with our staff and leadership. And so we've really taken a lot of time to develop this. And again, it's very short. Um, there are not a lot of open-ended questions. They're going to ask you um, age and um, zip code and ethnicity and how long you've attended ACAC. A couple things. It is completely anonymous. So we're not asking you to put your name, um, first of all. The second thing is um, we are asking every regular attender or member here at ACAC to fill that out. And so if there are over the age of 18, so if it's you and your wife alone in your household, we want each of you to fill that out individually. And um, it won't take you very long, and Jen has already gone through uh, the ways to do that. And again, it's really going to help us not only to see, but to serve our congregation better. We will share the results with you. So we're going to take that some time over the next probably 30 to 45 days to give ample time for people to fill that out. So if you're a guest today or visiting and you're not part of the ACAC family, um, as much as I would like to know, I'm going to ask you not to do that. Uh, this is simply for the couple thousand that call ACAC their church home, and I'd really appreciate it. And again, look forward to sharing those results with you when they come. I will say, too, I, I know a few of you are digitally challenged. I won't mention any names in here. There are some sitting in over this section. Um, but uh, we have hard copies, too, if you want to pick up a hard copy, and then we'll enter those in for you. All right, let's get to God's Word for today. Really excited about this series called Foolproof, Avoiding the Pitfalls of Life. Um, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And whether you grew up in church, whether you read the Bible regularly or not, even those who don't follow Jesus, you probably know some Proverbs. And the series kicked off last week, and Pastor Ross did a phenomenal job, and he helped us by really laying the foundation of Proverbs in the book of Wisdom. And we understood, which by the way, if you missed last week, uh, I'd encourage you to go to our website or YouTube channel and watch Pastor Ross's message, because again, he laid that foundation. But we learned that Proverbs is not just about knowledge, but rather applied knowledge. And that Proverbs provides practical skills for living well in God's world. And so over the course of the next eight weeks, really leading up to Easter, this is going to be a very practical series. And I'll mention a bit later some of the topics that we're going to cover. But the foundational verse that Pastor Ross hit last week that's really important to understand as you go and begin to go through Proverbs is this, Proverbs 1.7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what that means is that God is the foundation of all ethics, moral living, knowledge, and wisdom. It's the realization that I'm not God, 
you're not God, and we don't get to decide what is good and bad and right or wrong. And if you're a Christ follower and you live by that, you probably feel the tension or the battle in our society and world over what is right and what is wrong. It's a tension that we live in. So throughout the book of Proverbs, there are two types of people that are revealed. There is the wise person and there is the foolish. And the wise, Proverbs will teach us, have humility. And they have the character necessary to receive instruction and guidance for life. They are like to what I call the wise are teachable. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. Now, all of us understand that we should be teachable. Some of us do it better than others. Some of us, not so much. One of the things, uh, I was, did an interview last week for one of our staff people. And I can tell you as, as an employer and as, as, uh, as a boss here in our organization, one of the things I look for is, does an employee, are they teachable? Those of you that run businesses or you manage people, you know that teachability is something that is really important. The same is true scripturally. And Proverbs teaches that, that if you're a wise person, You're going to listen to wise counsel, and you will receive guidance. But the opposite side of that that Proverbs reveals is the foolish. And the foolish are too proud, they're too arrogant, they're too closed-minded or immature to listen and to receive counsel. As Pastor Ross hinted at last week and talked about, they're know-it-alls. And again, how many of you have people in your life or circle that they just know everything? And do not raise your hand. Don't hit the person next to you, especially if it's your husband. We can be stubborn sometimes in that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the second half of that verse is that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12, 15, fools think their own way is right, but it is the wise who listen to others. So... If we are wise, we will have a posture of humility when it comes to the Bible. We will be teachable and receive its words as guidance for our lives. We will also recognize that the wisdom of Proverbs is not promises that communicate, if you do this, this will happen, but rather practical principles for life and living your best life in God's good world. I love how Pastor Ross framed this last week when he said, Proverbs should be understood as principles for living rather than promises for life. And he picked out a great verse to illustrate that. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, if you raise your child in the ways of the Lord, when they grow older, they will not depart from it, right? Well, anybody who has raised children sometimes lives in attention to that because you bring them to church, you took them to Sunday school, you read God's word, you prayed with them and you did all of these things. But how you know, sometimes children grow up and they have a mind of their own and they walk away sometimes. But then we look at that verse and we struggle. And why do we struggle? Because we look at that verse in Proverbs as a promise and not as a principle. And so it's a significant and important that as we go through Proverbs, we understand that they are principles for living rather than promises for life. Now, before I get to our text and the subject of today's message, 
it's important to know that Proverbs is divided into three sections. And I would encourage you, as we go through this series, to read with us the book of Proverbs. Now, we're going to be jumping at different um, verses. We're not going to hit Proverbs one verse at a time and go in order. But Proverbs has 31 chapters. And what's awesome about that is there are 31 days in January. So even though we're a little into the new year, you can read one chapter a day in Proverbs. And you can even catch up this afternoon since the Steelers aren't playing. (laughs) So Proverbs is divided into three sections. The beginning of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, are 10 speeches from a father to a son. And the father shares these things with his son, and he says, son, here are things that I'm going to give you that will lead you to success and peace. But then here are some things that will lead you to ruin and shame. And any good dad or any good mom does those similar things with their child. So that's the first section of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. Now, the middle of Proverbs, what most of us are familiar with, chapters 10 through 29, are hundreds and hundreds of ancient wisdom sayings on a wide variety of life topics. Some of those life topics that we're going to cover up to now, from now through Easter are things like next week we're going to talk about the sanctity of life and the value of life. We're going to talk about the power of our words, the, the magnitude that the words we say have in our lives and those around us. We're going to talk about human sexuality. We're going to talk about finances, friendship, and we'll talk about raising kids as well. So that's the middle section. And then the end, the last section of Proverbs, are two chapters, chapters 30 and 31. Chapter 30 is a poem of wisdom from a man named Agor. Chapter 31, the final chapter, it's connected to a non-Israelite king named Lemuel. And this is where our text is going to come in today. And Lemuel is passing along the wisdom that he received from his mother. So get the connection. I love how Proverbs is bookend. At the beginning, you have wisdom from a father to a son. And then in the final chapter, you have wisdom from a mother to a son. And so the book of Proverbs, it opens with this letter from a dad to a son about how to live wisely in God's world. And then it ends with a mother passing along that same information. But there is one particular wisdom principle that is consistent both in the opening of Proverbs and in its closing. And that is the principle of justice. Specifically, the importance of being someone who speaks out for those who cannot speak for themselves. And that is our focus for today. Here is the opening of Proverbs. And again, these are words from a father to a son. So if we go to the beginning, Proverbs 1 through 2, their purpose, speaking of wisdom and Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. And then catch this, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Now, If your Bible is the King James or the ESV version and even a couple other versions, it'll say to walk in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, if you fast forward to that letter or those words of wisdom from the mother to her son, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, this is what it says in there. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, 
speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Say it with me. Say, speak up. up. We can do better than that. Speak Speak up. So a wise person is one who is right, just, and fair. One who walks with and promotes righteousness, justice, and equity. It is also a person who speaks for those who cannot speak for themselves. This is a clear mandate for us as followers of Jesus to be people who stand up for those who are defenseless. The wisdom of God's word in Proverbs, it pushes us to move past our indifferences and comfort zones, and it tells us each to be an advocate for those in our lives who need help being heard. Now, this is not just a consistent theme at the beginning of Proverbs and the end of Proverbs. It is consistent throughout the entire Bible. I want to fire some shots at you today, just going through the Bible. Let me, how this theme is reiterated over and over again. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 1, verse 17, Isaiah says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause, Isaiah says, of the fatherless, Plead the case of the widow. If you move to Psalms, the psalmist writes, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. Even again, later, the psalmist writes, he asks a question, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus himself in Matthew 25 said, Whatever you did for one of the least, you did what? You did for me. Jesus says, when you stand up for the least of my brothers and sisters, you have stood up for me. Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. There is an element of speaking out. And the bottom line is this, that for you and I, if you are a Christ follower, a believer in Jesus... It is the duty of Christians to courageously confront bias, prejudice, and favoritism in our world. If you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you don't have an option on that. It is incumbent upon us to be voices for the weak, marginalized, disenfranchised, oppressed, and silenced. Silence and inaction are not something the Bible makes room for. This is the way of God. This must be the way of the Jesus follower. Now, there's a great story in the Old Testament that gives us a powerful illustration of one of God's people using their voice and their position of privilege to speak up for those who haven't, haven't, don't have the ability to speak up for themselves. It's found in the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, we discover an unlikely advocate, a Jewish orphan given a position of privilege who risked everything by speaking up to a powerful king. And again, her name is Esther. You can read it later this afternoon in your Old Testament. I, won't, I don't have time to go through all of the verses. Let me give you a synopsis of what's happening in the book of Esther before I hit a particular verse in that book. So this book of Esther, it begins by describing a Persian king named Xerxes. And it describes his overwhelming empire, his power, his might, his influence, and all his wealth. Now, Xerxes was a Persian king from 486 to 465 BC. And his vast empire composed of people that he had conquered and nations that he had conquered. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. 
And I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not giving you any uh, advice here. But he banishes his wife for refusing to obey his commands. So he kicks his wife out of the kingdom. And then here's what Xerxes does. He gathers up beautiful young women from across the empire and he pits them against each other in competition to win his approval to become the next king. So basically he did the bachelor before there was a bachelor. He had this massive rose ceremony, gathered all of these beautiful women in the kingdom where they competed against one another to see who was going to be his queen. And one of the women that was caught up in this was a woman named Esther. And she was an orphaned niece of a Jewish captive named Mordecai. And he's going to come to play in just a moment. Now, we don't know much about Esther and who she was other than the fact that the Bible tells us she was beautiful and that she kept her Jewish heritage a secret. But she is the one who received the rose, if you will, and found favor with King Xerxes and became his queen. Now, fast forward years later, Esther is queen, Xerxes is king, and Xerxes' trusted advisor devised a plan to execute, to murder and kill and wipe out all of the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. Now, this is where Mordecai, Queen Esther's uncle, comes into play, and he was like a father figure to her. So, He approaches her. He finds out of this plan from King Xerxes' advisors to wipe out all the Jewish people. And he comes to Esther and says, Esther, you are in a position to speak out and to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And he says, you need to go to the king and tell him what's happening and save us. But here's the problem. Esther tells Mordecai that, look, anybody who approaches the king, including me, even though I am queen... Anybody who approaches him without an invitation, he kills. So how do you think he's going to reply when not only I approach him, but I challenge his policy? She's like, I can't. There's no way possible. And then this is what Mordecai says to Esther. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And I love this question. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Mordecai challenges Esther and says, you are the one to speak up. And who knows? Maybe you were chosen. Maybe you received that rose and God put you in a position of privilege just for a time as this. So Esther asked Mordecai and all of the Jewish people to fast and pray. And she said she would do the same. And then she certainly is bold and courageous. She goes to the king. She speaks out. There's a long and beautiful story that happens there. But eventually all of the Jewish people are saved because Queen Esther showed courage. She spoke up and she used her voice. She had a position of privilege. She could have tried to use that position of privilege to shield and to save herself. Instead, she chose to be an advocate and a voice for those who could not speak for themselves. And much like Esther, it is the duty of Christians to courageously confront bias, prejudice, and favoritism in our world. Bringing it back home, let me ask you this question. Who are the defenseless? Who are the silenced around you? Think of that. Do you even know? Who are the people whose voices are being silenced in your sphere of influence? 
Are there people in your neighborhood? Are there people in your family? Are there people that you are working with? Who is around you? When we as followers of Jesus remain silent, when we don't speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, nor pursue justice, let me make it clear that we become complicit. We can be reminded of many of a Christian's complicity here on a weekend when we honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. While today, tomorrow, we will celebrate and give thanks for the progress that has been made in the fight against racism, we must remember that there was a time when many Jesus followers were silent. They did not speak up. Let me give you an example. In April of 1963, during the Civil Rights Movement, there was a public statement released from eight white religious leaders in Alabama. This statement was directed towards Dr. Martin Luther King and those leading and participating in peaceful protests against segregation. That statement from eight white followers of Jesus, religious leaders at the time, they wrote these words. We recognize the natural impatience of people who feel that their hopes are slow in being realized. But we are convinced that these demonstrations are unwise and untimely. This was from religious leaders at the time in Alabama. Religious leaders who found Dr. King's fight for justice too extreme. And rather than following in the footsteps of Queen Esther and speaking up for those who were being marginalized and segregated and pushed down and challenging those in power, many Christians, including pastors, remained silent. And some, like these eight Alabama religious leaders, tried to even soften and silence voices that were crying for freedom. And while today and tomorrow, many will celebrate, many of us will post and honor Dr. Martin Luther King, I have to ask myself the question, if it was us back then, would we have spoken out? It's easy to speak out now, but would we have been the voice for the marginalized, for those that weren't being heard? Would we have spoken up then? Because there were many who won't. I would encourage you this weekend, read Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Moms, dads, sit your kids down and read it to them. One of Dr. King's influences was a man named Howard Thurman. He was close friends with Dr. King's dad. Howard Thurman wrote these words, It cannot be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and the oppressed. Too often... Followers of Jesus have been silent. And we have not voiced and spoken up and stood for those who are oppressed, marginalized, and silenced in our world. However, there are cases, and there have been and there are today, some voices that do speak. Let me give you an example of one little over 100 years before Dr. King was here on earth. His name was Elijah Parrish Lovejoy. Elijah Parrish Lovejoy, you may not be familiar with him, but he was a Presbyterian pastor and journalist living in the segregated south of St. Louis, Missouri in the 1830s. He was an outspoken abolitionist from both behind the pulpit and as a writer for the St. Louis Observer. In 1835, there was a letter that was signed by influential business people in the city of St. Louis telling him to tone down his anti-slavery speech. And I loved his response. His response was he replied by publishing an editorial doubling down on his views against slavery and his right to publish them. 
threats of violence forced him to move across the river to Alton, Illinois, which was a free state at the time in 1836. And there, Lovejoy served as pastor at the Upper Alton Presbyterian Church. And he started a newspaper called the Alton Observe, an abolitionist newspaper where he continually remained outspoken about the sin of slavery and racism and segregation of people that were created in the very image of God. And there, in a free state, as a pastor and a journalist, he was pressured by some of his best friends and elders in the church. Lord, help our elders. That's a joke. We have great elders. He was pressured by his friends and elders in his church to stop speaking out. Three times in one year, they burned his printing press. And protecting a fire that was started in the warehouse where his fourth printing press, he was shot five times and he was killed at the age of 35 on November 6th, 1837. Pastor Lovejoy wrote these words. I have sworn an eternal opposition to slavery. And by the blessing of God, I will never turn back to speak, to write, to publish whatever I please on any subject. If the laws in my country fail to protect me, I appeal to God and with him, I cheerfully will rest my cause. I can die at my post, but I cannot desert it. And he did not. It is our duty as Christians to courageously confront bias, prejudice, and favoritism in our How do we do that? So we close today. Let me give you three quick lessons from Esther. First of all, Esther Esther listened. Too often we bypass this step. We don't even see or recognize those voices that are being silenced because we just speak over them and don't take the time to listen or even look. So before any of that begins, we have to have our ears open. As James says, we have to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. So when we hear, when we see, when we read things that challenge our beliefs, that challenge our perspectives, rather than getting angry, rather than taking to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and firing back, what would happen if we sat down and said, can you help explain that to me? I really wrestle. I don't understand, and everything inside of me, it just I get anxious and tense and even angry at times, but I want to understand where you're coming from. What would happen if we actually just shut up and listen? And here's the second, which is even more important than listening, is that we have to fast and pray. Queen Esther said to Mordecai, have all the Jewish people fast and pray, and I will do the same. That was her response after listening to Mordecai. See, too often, we never listen and we never fast and we never pray. We either speak or we take action and we just bypass God altogether. And then we wonder why we have war online and everything else. We've not gained any wisdom or discernment from God or his leading whatsoever. We fast, we pray, Father, help me. Help me open my eyes to those around that I don't see, those that I walk by and I ignore, those that are not even in my peripheral vision. Open my ears to hear the voice of those who are crying for help and they're not being heard. Help me to see and then give me wisdom and discernment to speak up with clarity, with boldness, with courage. 
which leads to the last, speaking up and taking God-inspired action. Not flesh-inspired, not, re- not just reaction online, but God-inspired, spirit-led, not flesh-led. So for us, listen, fast, pray, and use your voice to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We often reverse the order. We just go straight to speaking, straight to doing, without listening, without praying. While this message is certainly directed at the racism and prejudice in our world, it goes even beyond that. These are life issues, standing for every person who is created in the image of God. Yes, regardless of skin color, but also for the unborn, for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the elderly, for the widow, for those with special needs. Understanding in Dr. King's words that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere if we are not the ones to speak up. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I shared this story last night and I hesitated then and I hesitate today, but it's one of those moments that you need to understand as a church. I am so grateful for the history and legacy of this church. The years, God using Pastor Rock and so many other men and women leaders to lead us to a place where we are a church that does our best to speak up, speak out, and value the diversity of God's kingdom. But let me tell you something, there is a danger for us to become arrogant and proud about that. Give you an example. We're not there yet. Several years ago, the Lord put on my heart to start a biblical diversity committee, one that we'll meet today, actually, this afternoon. Pastor Ross is leading it. After I made that announcement in the church probably three years ago, a biblical diversity committee that was going to help us remain intentional about our diversity, just like we have a missions committee and a finance committee, a personnel committee, a building committee, groups of people that have knowledge and experience to keep us on point and intentional I felt like we needed to do that for diversity. So I announced that and shared that. This group reports to our elders. Never forget this. 10 o'clock service. I announced it. I walked off right over here. Gentleman came up in front of me, said, Alan, I have been at this church for 30 years, and today I'm leaving. You're now going to have black people tell you how to preach. Hit me square in the face. He didn't hit me, but I mean, his words did. We still have progress to make. And the moment we think we have it figured out, the moment we think that we're better or more special because of our diversity, we pat ourselves on the back, and yes, we speak out, we don't have any room to grow, (laughs) we'll lose it. There is a humility that we have to have in growing in wisdom for God. I am so grateful for our church, but we always need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and never lose our voice and speaking out for those who cannot speak for themselves. So Father in heaven, I pray for us today. Lord, again, I am so grateful for the mission and the vision of this church, of who you have called us to be, that this is a place where all are welcome, regardless of their bank account, regardless of their age, regardless of their politics, regardless of their skin color, regardless of what they can offer. Lord, Every one of us are created in your kingdom, and we are equal before you and equal before each other. So, God, I pray that your spirit would help protect that. 
that, Lord, I know that there are a variety of opinions. Even for some today, this message is uncomfortable. But, Lord, let us never forget that it is consistent throughout Scripture that we are called to be a people who speak up for, for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so we pray. We pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that your spirit would lead us. That we would not act out or speak out in the flesh. But we would respond only to your spirit and in your power. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today I'm going to invite our prayer team to come to the front. Any elders that are here or pastors on staff, just want you to know we'd love to pray with you today. Maybe you're sick in your body. Um, Maybe there are things going on in your family. Um, We just want you to know we'd love to pray with you and believe that God can change that. Otherwise, be safe, stay warm. God bless you. We'll see you next week.